When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, Attorneys at Law, with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Welcome to the latest Irish Illustrated Insider, Pete Sampson, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley. We've got a lot coming up. This is a pretty busy week for Notre Dame. Football bowl prep. We've got, we had access to Brian Kelly over the weekend, access to players on Thursday. Early signing day is Wednesday. Well, Brian Kelly, Brian Pulley, and then we're expecting 20 commitments to all sign for Notre Dame. Hoops had an eventful weekend down in Indianapolis against... The Hoosiers, but let's start with football as they sort of ramp up Citrus Bowl preparations. The team heads out, or they reconvene, I should say, in Orlando on the 26th to get a few practices here. Now that finals are done, um, the news is Chase Claypool out, AC joint injury, health surgery this week. Uh, Brian Kelly said he expects them back for spring. This is, anybody who's listening to this podcast know I have shoulder injury phobia with players um but this is as minor as it can get um this isn't sort of like the Tavon Coney full shoulder rebuild um so it but without Claypool that's that's significant because look Chase Claypool played more snaps this year than Josh Adams and he was a very regular part of what they wanted to do with the offense I think in some ways he almost replaced Alize Mack uh, to a certain extent in terms of that big athlete who's physical, who can do a little bit of everything in the offense. You, yeah, I mean, he obviously has become a prominent member of the offense. You do have a junior in, in Boykin that, that can step into the lineup with shifts, uh, EQs, responsibilities. But, you know, when you consider that, you know, you've got a quarterback that's had accuracy issues and you're going against the number nine pass efficiency defense in the country – in LSU, um, to lose one of your top receivers is significant. Yeah, he with the injury though, <clears throat> you aren't going to get the real Chase Claypool either. It's it's interesting to look back at his targets. He had forty eight targets this year, fifteen came in one game. So it was an inconsistent situation. Wake Forest actually. Oh. It was an inconsistent situation for Claypool where he's not out there contributing every week. But those. Those targets and those plays he made against Wake Forest kind of illustrated what we thought you could see from Chase Claypool. He's making plays after the catch. He's making plays downfield. Um, yeah, they'll miss him because Brandon Wimbush needs an athlete like yeah. that, I think, at this stage. And Miles Boykin's not running away from anyone on LSU's. No, but he does. Secondary. But he does have some size. I sure, mean, he's he can replace team, him. He does, he's not you can't older. replace the athleticism, but you are somewhat matching. You are matching the size. Yeah. It, but Claypool was had really come on in the second half of yeah, the season. No doubt. It's, it's disappointing for Notre Dame's offense because that was I really felt like Notre Dame was at its best when it was Claypool, Stefferson, St. Brown, Smythe, Adams. Those were your five skill position players, and 
you know, to, to not have that against LSU, which is a really, really athletic, talented defense, is is difficult, especially when you've got a quarterback who's still trying to. You know how many touchdown passes out? LSU gave up this year? Nine. That's right. That is correct. And they're giving up. Uh, that's what we were talking about. You were talking about Wimbush uh, last week or the week before, Tim, about you know completing a sixty percent in the bowl game, but LSU's giving up fifty two point nine percent. He's not completing sixty percent in the bowl game. I meant fifty eight percent next year. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, fifty eight percent. He's not next getting sixty percent. No, he's in the not. Bowl no, game. no, he's not. It's not a good team to do that against. Yep. We talked to Brian Kelly a little bit on Saturday about Wimbush, and I, I, I kind of wanted to press him about where Wimbush was mentally because I think anybody who watches. Notre Dame football closely or even just casually, you're looking at a quarterback and thinking, like, what's going on there? Because it just it doesn't really add up that what had happened on Saturday would have also happened on Tuesday or Wednesday because if it happened on Tuesday or Wednesday, either you wouldn't play them or you would call different plays. Um, and to my surprise, at least, Brian Kelly says the issues that he's seeing from Wimbush on Saturday also happen in practice during the week. Now, he also said later that Wimbush was in a better spot in practice than he is in games. So I think it's a, I think it's a little bit of everything. I think there are some physical and mechanical issues with Wimbush, but I also think there are some mental issues, even though that Brian Kelly said that there are not. I think the head coach, as many head coaches do, was playing word games with the media, and, and rightfully so. He's trying to, you know, I mean, nobody wants to hear that your quarterback has mental problems on the football field. Yeah, but he, can't, that's what, he can't use the word yips. Like, that's not, yeah, you but can't that, do that as a head coach. No, and you said you almost used that phrase, yeah. and had you done that and he agreed with it, then that would be admitting that he had That'd be bad. some some mental issues on the field. But, you, I mean, you understand why a coach mm-hmm. would, would say what he did and why you don't want your quarterback perceived as a guy that's having mental issues on the football field. And yet, when you're saying if if you're swinging and missing or used to hitting it, it affects you, well, then that's that's not being able to take the game from the practice field or what did he say, the batting cage to the batter's box? He well, that's some, what every athlete has yeah. to do. And he, I mean, he used some golf parallels, which I get because I'm not like I'm very good but I get when something is going wrong one way and you overcompensate in another way and then you just create different problems and I think that's sort of what's happening right now in every sport inconsistent fundamentals are exacerbated by lack of confidence if you watch the Miami game sure he missed a pass to Equinemius St. Brown that should have been a touchdown but he didn't look like he was incapable of playing quarterback whereas about three or two interceptions later and five missed passes later he is throwing a knuckleball bubble screen screen pass that every quarterback in the country completes 10 times a day. And he looked incapable at that point. He's not incapable. He becomes incapable when things start going downhill. And that's mental. Maybe maybe Brian Kelly should have said lack of confidence. Yeah. Maybe that's the, the better way to say it. Clearly he doesn't bounce we're talking about all these all day long. Or you yeah. would never call a but, bubble pass. <laughs> it's, 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 it's taking it. It is more mental than physical. But the physical problem... Really presents because mentally he just doesn't have the confidence to do it. I was going back looking at uh, some of our readers were asking about some old film reviews, and I went, I found a few, and I found Wimbush. And you know, when you watch high school film, can you complete seventy six? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I didn't see any of the yips during during high school. Yeah, look, I think he has an opportunity against LSU, which is as you said, nine touchdown passes allowed. I think eleven interceptions. Yeah. 
They're top, I think they're ninth nationally in pass efficiency defense. Um, This is not a defense to sort of probably have a fundamental breakthrough against, but if he can have some success, then I think it's a it's a opportunity for him to sort of get some confidence moving forward. If he can have more of a guy, I mean, I don't know how many times on this podcast I've referenced, like if he could just do the Michigan state performance again, but if he could just do the Michigan state performance again, where it's a lot of deep stuff, the intermediate stuff is well, along the sidelines absolutely. where it's not into traffic. Um, then, then I, I think he can, he can come away with this as a, a stepping stone into the off season. Well, that game was called differently though. Right, I mean, sure. they, they they gave him opportunities to succeed, and I don't want to wrap up talking about Brandon Wimbush without emphasizing what what Brian Kelly hinted in his last comment Saturday about uh, about Wimbush, and that is he won nine games with a chance to win ten, and I want to emphasize fourteen touchdown passes, twelve touchdown runs, seven hundred sixty five yards rushing, number seven red zone touchdown percentage in the country. He had a lot hit that red zone percentage. He had a lot to do with that, and he had thirty. He accounted for thirty touchdowns, and nine six interceptions, and I think four fumbles. Is it three or four? So, thirty touchdowns, nine or ten turnovers. That's a great ratio. Plus, with the red zone, which is off the chart for Notre Dame in the Brian Kelly era, that's why he's the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, he's got so much good stuff going for him. I think the other personnel news note that. I found interesting. I asked about Alohi Gilman because I wanted to do a feature on him for around the bowl game, even though he's not playing in it and won't even be attending it. Um, is that Brian Kelly said he would have started this year, which I don't know if I believe that necessarily. I think he definitely would have played. Oh, yeah. um, I think he would, at worst case, I think he would have been the third safety. Um, but the fact that he, he said he would have started, and I, I think I've, Immediately, if I'm like, started? And he's he like, probably, he would have started. He probably would have gotten first crack opposite Coleman. Probably right? so. Um, I mean, but I think it's easy to say he would have started when you're safe. Yeah, to play well, sure. and you have yeah. a guy that didn't play. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it could be a situation where, because the Lowy Gilman that I saw at Culver and you guys saw at Culver, I don't think would have started. No, but I, I wrote about that. Um, Gilman, we saw his first practice with the new program out of pads. He looked, he had trouble covering everybody we saw his first practice in pads with the new program and then we saw a practice or two where he was obviously or not obviously but 90 percent probably not going to get that waiver and they had to move on and look right. other guys and so he wasn't involved. we weren't seeing him at his best we, we, sure. look we saw what we saw yeah. and it wasn't very impressive but we understand that that doesn't mean that that's no. the kind of football player they would have had this season yeah i mean you would have think <laughs> a guy would have improved from his first practice yeah. um and like he was scout team defensive player of the year I think that understanding how football works, I think he has a better football IQ than some of the safeties they have right now. That's but just, significant. But just the fact that he's that Brian Kelly is throwing out he would have started, I think it says a lot about Gilman's three months since we last saw him do anything. Um, I, but I, unfortunately for Notre Dame, it also says a lot about the safeties that they have there Are right now. Are you saying that Notre Dame safeties didn't handle things well mentally this past I, season? I think that's just, they, they are what they are. I mean, there's... Mike Elko, I think, is a hell of a football coach, but if guys don't get it, then they don't get it. That's the thing. If and and that was the that's what we hung our hat on all year was that, uh, okay. Mike Elko is coaching those guys, so he'll be able to coach them up. Well, 
there are limitations for every coach, no matter how good a coach you are. I think he did a really good job getting out of them what he got out of them. I, you're right. You're right. So, I mean, there, there's something to be said for that. Um, I think the other kind of interesting news, there was a, we had a little bit of a cat and mouse with Brian Kelly on Saturday about the Shamrock series. I asked about that. Um, and then his answer was basically like, I, I don't really want to talk about that because um, he doesn't really want to play that can game. I read, can and, I read the quote? Sure. <laughs> I coach the team. I play wherever they tell me to play. How'd I do? Good with that? That's good. <laughs> yeah, to which some other media were like, ooh, I want to follow up on this. Um, but look, it was it was quite clear that his input in the game was basically, we're moving a game. Is this one okay? All right, fine. I mean, basically, that that was it. Well, I think maybe a couple not, concessions. The yeah. 2.30 kickoff. Yeah, we're not moving an earlier game. The 4 or 5 right. to start, those are off the table. They're, they're sure as hell not going to move Florida State. Right. Um, and if they're going to play in Yankee Stadium, Florida State and Syracuse are the only options because baseball season will have ended at that right. point. Then you can play in Yankee <clears throat> Stadium. Um, but I... I Thought it was hilarious, but basically said like, "All right, well, let's play in conditions sort of like South Bend." You mean like South Bend? Um, <laughs> no, it's yeah, got to be Yankee Stadium, not like South Bend, South Bend, like. Maybe that you think the two thirty kickoff was a concession to him. Um, I mean, I, I don't know why because, NBC you know, would put that on at night anyway. Yeah, well, I agree, yeah. but I mean, you know that he's talked in the past about late in the year, cold on the road at night, getting home at. You know the wee hours sure. of the morning. I mean, hell, it's tough on it's tough on us as media, let alone the the guys that really have to work it on game day. Are we worse at, in November writing follow up suit with the? Uh, I well this no this November I feel like I was. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just uh, I just could you not, did not produce the way I you could, normally do. Yeah. I just could get up for year. a game. Yeah. I just, yeah. Um, you know, and I made a joke last week about just fire them and it was funny and I knew it would be funny and I said that but I'm going to say this this week this is a selfish decision by Notre Dame it's a it's an it's an incredibly selfish decision decision whether it was made by Jack Swarbrick or the people above him and they put pressure on him to make this happen there's only one person above him right uh, <laughs> okay uh, no there's there's the board okay, too okay. I mean there could that that could play a role too and I don't know how all that works but it's an incredibly selfish decision by Notre Dame. And, you know, these football players, these guys at Notre Dame is waiting on to see if they're going to come back for another year and play at Notre Dame or whether they're going to go pro. Who would blame them if they make a selfish selfish decision when the university is making a selfish decision like this? I had a facetious list of pluses that none of them are real from last week. What are the pluses? What's the what's the plus? So come up with the plus. Uh, you okay? The uh, the East Coast alumni. I, but yeah, I, know, that's, I, that I is, mean, that I don't. I don't think like that, that. I don't think that's legit. Brand but, recognition? Do they really need brand recognition by playing Syracuse and Yankee Stadium? You know, there's going to be a loosely related Yankee brand and Notre Dame brand for a whole week next November to look forward to. That'll be great. Uh, Under Armour will do stuff. Frank Leahy's going to be involved. They played there in '49. I'm telling you, man. There is nothing. But there is no plus. If what I heard about this, the uniforms, let's just wait and see what the uniforms are like. Are you you're putting that in the plus or the minus category? I, it would sound like a minus. Minus? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, not, there's just not a lot to it. And I pretty sure I, I agree with you for it's, it's putting the interest of the football program behind the interest of the university at large. 
And the and the, and the coaches and the players and the local uh, that's, fans. That's all like in the right. Okay, that's yeah. yeah, that's in the in the listing. But yeah, I could under, not understand it, but I still don't see the massive benefit that you're putting ahead of the football program. I don't think Notre Dame gets much out of it. What do they get out of this? It's like fundraising and university advertisement. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Um, they don't get enough. That's if, what I mean. If, they don't if, get that's enough. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah the, the trade-off make, does not make sense. Because uh, ultimately, the best advertisement for Notre Dame is a football team that's winning and maybe making the college football play. And playing at home and right. everybody coming there happy to watch them play. Uh, recruiting, a couple, uh, couple verbal commitments for Notre Dame as uh, Wednesday's early signing date approaches. Cornerback slash safety Houston Griffith. A guy that for many months looked like Notre Dame was out of it. And he had committed to Florida State and it looked like they weren't going to get back in it. And Tommy Tremble was trending away from Notre Dame, it seemed, in recent weeks, with Michigan getting a lot of play by Tremble on Twitter. But they got them both. Yeah, at uh I've, I felt like they were going to get Tremble just based on the feedback I got around Notre Dame about the, the questions he was asking were application sort of procedural questions, not, well, how do you think you're going to use me in the offense right. type questions. And he's an early entry. No. He, he will, is not. He will, he will sign on Wednesday. Uh, and there was some... Houston Griffith's an early entry. Yes. Okay. there was, But there was some uncertainty around Tremble's uh, decision to, to sign in December or sign in February. He clarified over the weekend that he will, in fact, sign in December. In terms of the early enrollments, uh, Notre Dame is... I, I think going to go with seven this year. It's Houston Griffith, uh, Matt Bauer, Micah Jones, uh, Ovi Agufu, Jameer Smith, and then the guys, um, who am I forgetting? Oh, Jack Lamb and George Takas. So seven is a record. That is, I don't, I wouldn't call it an accommodation by the university for the football program because it's just like, this is what everyone does. But, um, it, I think, will be significant at linebacker during spring practice, for sure. Because there, there's going to be a lack of bodies potentially there. And then, you know, on, on top of that, you know, Houston Griffith, I, th- I think, will have an opportunity to at least play a role uh, in the secondary out of the gate, whether it's a safety, whether it's a corner, whether it's a nickel, or certainly it will be The first role he teams. can play is is holding up the opposing gunner on punts. He's great with his hands at the line of scrimmage. That was a problem all year, right? Oh, I mean they, they couldn't return. Yeah, they couldn't return a all Brian Kelly era. All era. They couldn't return a punt because they couldn't handle the Gunners. I guarantee you, Houston Griffith is a guy that can do that. Yeah. So overall, they, they expect to sign twenty on Wednesday. Uh, I expect that they will sign a twenty-first on Thursday or, or I'm sorry on Friday. And Braden Lindsay, the wide receiver out of Oregon, I'm very confident Notre Dame will get him. On top of that. We'll see what happens with Julius Irvin. He expects to sign early. Kyler Gordon expects to sign early. I really have no no clue where either of those guys are headed. It's Washington or Notre Dame for Gordon, and it's probably USC or it's USC or Notre Dame for Irvin. Uh, but those are too close to call. And then Notre Dame's sort of kicking the tires on a Colorado commit offensive lineman from Houston, Texas, named Frank Phillip. Uh, visited Notre Dame. Just, they need to find somebody. They can't sign two guys in this class. Um, and he's a pure offensive tackle type. You know, it doesn't look like they're going to ultimately flip Luke Jones, the Arkansas commitment. Um, but really, 
there are six guys in play on Wednesday that are either uncommitted or on the board for Notre Dame, and then there are another four that they're involved with. That will be February's Amon Ross St. Brown, Nicholas Petit Frere, uh, Solomon Tulia Pupu, and Noah Boykin, the corner from the D.C. area. So we'll see. But overall, I think Notre Dame is in a position. If they do, if they can somehow do a Lindsey Gordon Petit Frere that's trifecta, good, that's good um, enough for me right there. <laughs> that would that would in terms of sort of where they fit in the 24-7 composite team rankings, that would be a clear second-best class of the Kelly era behind yeah. the, the 2013 I, do, I, I mean, I do love Irvin's game, too, and I've been told the same thing about Braden Lindsay. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, those, those three that you mentioned, Pete, that would be that'd be good enough. And I should mention. Frere is, is, to me, an off-the-chart five-star tool Offensive tackle. Yeah, and then Lawrence Keyes is sort of involved too. If they get uh, Brayden Lindsay on Friday, I think that may change. But Lawrence Keyes is going to be a late decision anyway, so they'll have some time to to adjust. All right, we we, we do have. Uh, I think we got a couple of recruiting questions in the second segment, so let's jump over to basketball. It was in Indianapolis over the weekend. Notre Dame had a fourteen point lead against IU in the first half. They had a thirteen point lead with six minutes, sixteen minutes to go. They're up by nine with five and a half, and they're up by eight That's with two minutes to go. And um, they couldn't hold the lead. Austin Torres in a really uncomfortable position, a 42.5 career free throw shooter at the line with two shots. Uh, sitting next to Tom Noy from the South Bend Tribune, we both agreed that it better be he better make the first one because if he misses it, <laughs> he's not going to make the second one. He actually showed a little bit of touch on that first one, but it fell off the front of the rim. He missed the second one. They went into OT, and again, they were leading, but they couldn't stop Jawan Morgan, who made 9 out of 10 shots in the second half. Uh, IU had missed 21 straight three-pointers until Robert Johnson connected on one in the first half. He ends up going 5 for 10 from three-point range, and it's a really tough, bad loss for Notre Dame. It's an amazing giveaway. Well, it's not that amazing since they they did it the last two years there, but that's ridiculous giveaway to this. There were so many times that I I mentioned before this podcast that that not not by looking at the level of program that loss from how the game was played is worse than the Ball State loss. Ball State came out and played great basketball for forty. I use not a very good basketball team. They are very well coached by Archie Miller, and he's going to make that into a good program again. But you're right; they're they're not there. They're that Indiana is going to be. They will end up being a very good defensive program, but they're not there yet yeah, either. They're not there yet. Um, so yeah, this was a this was a huge blown opportunity for Notre Dame. Um, you know, ultimately, really, really huge loss of composure around all around too. Yeah, I mean, for for Matt Farrell to to come in and try to take a charge when when they were just told that if you get beat off the dribble, which Colson was, let him. You're, you're overplaying nobody, the three because right, you're no, up. Right. Nobody step in and, and draw the blocking foul. They'll score the bucket. It'll be a one-point game. We'll get the ball in bounds and shoot free throws again, and you still like your chances of winning. Um, you know, I know people said Torres in the game. Why was he in the game? If he if he prevents Jawan Morgan from scoring on that end, then and you get a defensive rebound, then you can call a timeout, take him out of the game, and then you know proceed with a with another more competent free throw shooter on, but he didn't stop him because nobody stopped Juwan Morgan in the second half, and uh, you know the kid the kid couldn't convert on one of the two. I 
you know, in your full court press, I thought you made an interesting point because it was sort of counter to the Michigan State game that I covered where Notre Dame had absolutely no bench in a hostile environment and Jogo didn't get in. Moody was completely lost, played one minute and had a turnover. Uh, Harvey was awful. Um, I do think if... I think maybe we talked about this on our last podcast. Notre Dame was going to have to reinvent itself a couple times this year where they were going to hit a skid, have to put themselves back together a different way. Nobody's better at that than Bray. And... Bray has to have Mooney be a part of that solution. Yes. Jogo be part yes. of that yeah. solution. Um, Harvey has Harvey. they got to get Harvey. Harvey Burns apparently maybe yes or no, but like yeah, Burns can't Burns can't give you anything offensively, and so you know yeah, I, I, I don't I don't think and, and you and and you give Torres his couple minutes of energy, so they can they can legitimately go nine deep nine deep, but you have to find a way to get Jogo and Mooney. And Harvey involved, and it can't be like you know two minutes for three straight games, and then yeah. expect to get productivity out of them. Now, I would argue, and I'm sorry for dominating this this conversation, but I would argue that you know, like a lot of people were saying, Fluger played too many minutes Saturday. Okay, I get that, but you're you've got a 14 point lead in the first half. You've got a 13 point lead with 16 minutes to go. You've got an eight point lead with two minutes to go. You want your best defensive player in there. He is their best defensive yeah. player, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I, I, you know, People not... are taking it out of context because he's not Dennis Rodman. He's still their best <laughs> defensive player. Just I know, he, I, I, I've seen right. this on the board. He is Notre Dame's best defensive player, and he has been for three years. Right, and just because you know somebody beats him off the dribble, it's basketball. They score a lot of points in basketball. He's not going to do it every time, but he clearly is their best defender. And when you have a lead in a partisan crowd that's definitely, you know, there's 8,000 IU fans there. You you have to pl- you have to protect a little bit. I get the frustration though because he's not normally their fourth scorer is a much better shooter than Rex Fluger, and he's not. And I I've also seen it on there. The shooter he can be, we know he is, he can become or something. He, he is can, not a good shooter. He's not he doesn't a good have good shooter. form. He's his, not a good shooter. The ball goes in once in a while because t- he's out right. there a lot. It's, and because he's a but competitor he's a, and he's an athlete, yeah. but he's not. The shot is not good. He's and, an, he could be an effective basketball player. Yes, it would have been better if. They could have found Harvey or Jogo to get the minutes that when Fluger was missing. I understand that, but that's not the way. It's not a plus-minus game all the time either, where you just take him out. They couldn't stop Indiana to save their lives. You're not going to put right. in worse defenders, right? Exactly, exactly. But having said all that, having said all that, you know, and let me just say this: Archie Miller did a great job of how they defended Farrell. As soon as Farrell tried to create off the dribble, they sent um, they sent a second guard to him, and Fluger standing in the corner all alone all all damn day. So what? You get it to him. They want to let him. He was one for eight shooting. So I mean, it was it was played very well. But Mike Bray has to find ways to get those three or four guys off the bench to contribute, contribute significantly. Not you know, not just two minutes a game. Right. You've got to get them involved. And now you've got two scrub teams to play this week, and you you've got to make it happen quickly. Let me say this: Georgia Tech, not a good basketball team. Four and four. Very vulnerable. That's who you open with. NC State, they just, uh, the coach just put their point guard, just suspended their point guard. They're struggling. They just lost to UNC Greensboro. So you have an opportunity to get some things done this week with those two easy opponents. Start out 2 and 0 at home. You have, and that's you have a, to start 2 0 at Yeah, you have to start 2 and 0 at home. They have, they're at Syracuse to start the road slate, which is a house of horrors for the Mike Bray era and the Digger Phelps era. And- 
the drama cloud area in between and would have been if Doherty stuck around too and he played them. But I want to go back very quickly to the end of the game and I love Matt Farrell. I am a huge backer of what he does on the basketball court and his mental approach. He had weird mental breakdowns. It was a mistake to pass Austin towards the ball in that yeah. situation if you're a point guard. You got to know your personnel. It's like you do. You absolutely Quarterback, who are you throwing the ball to? There's exactly right. It's like throwing it to the guard just because he's eligible. Yeah. There was no way that that was the play to make. And I, I, now I'm not saying he had to see Bonzi Colson open on the opposite wing because you're getting double and <clears throat> you're coming off the screen, but he was. But I'm, I'm not faulting that. I'm just faulting the pass there. That wasn't going to work. Farrell will be much better than that. He's not going to have bad games like that. Um, quick look at the schedule. And um, I use KenPom.com because they're very good with numbers. It looks, if you kind of break it down, they have 10 toss-ups in the uh, 18 league games. Just kind of 60% mm-hmm. chance of winning, 50% right. chance of winning. Uh, four where they're prohibitive favorites, and Georgia Tech is mm-hmm. one of them. And four where they're pretty decisive underdogs. Not that they can't win, but you know, at Virginia's 25%, and that's probably less in real life. Yeah. Um, there's those type of things. And they have North Carolina's like 50-50 in South Bend. So if you're four underdogs, four prohibitive favorites, you got to steal an underdog. You got to sweep those four prohibitive favorites, and you got to find a way to win more than you lose in the bubble games. Yeah, so, ten wins, ten conference wins will get you to twenty. Yeah, ten and eight, they're in. I mean, that's that's not even a problem. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's what you got to. That's, that's get, kind of the search. They'll get, to, they'll get to ten wins after this week, and then ten conference wins gets them to twenty. Ten and eight in the ACC. It's an easy end. Gets you with there. a win over a number three Wichita State. Yeah. But they need to, you know, it's 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 about more than just getting there. It's about progressing as a oh, team. Oh, definitely. You don't want nobody to reinvents better than but... nobody reinvents better than Bray. But he doesn't always reinvent with personnel as much as he does approach. But he's got to reinvent with personnel because I think he's got to get those guys involved. I mean, look, two years ago they got they just completely. Pissed down their leg against IU in the Crossroads Classic. They blew a 15-point lead with a better team than what they have yeah, now. Right. Yeah. They ended up going to the lead eight. Nobody really is complaining about that Crossroads Classic game from two years ago anymore. No. So it's like the good thing about covering basketball and just following college basketball, every game's not life and death. So it's not like college football where the world has to come to an end after a terrible, terrible, no good loss, which... To be fair, they had on Saturday, but that doesn't mean the season is just uh, just flushes down the tubes. They got they got a long way to go, and Bray's a good guy to get them there. All right, well that's it for segment one. Irish Illustrated Insider. We got a bunch of questions for our readers next. Wimbush recruiting, all sorts of good stuff next. Segment two. Irish Illustrated Insider is brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, attorneys at law, with offices in South Bend, Indiana. Serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider burning up the boards. We start with fresh one six one nine. Mechanical or mental Wimbush has to improve. What recent college quarterback would he have to play like to get Notre Dame into playoff content contention next year? And the example given is JT Barrett from Ohio State. I mean, JT Barrett has been sort of all over the map from like amazingly Heisman Trophy good to yeah. Like pretty much his entire career, so I don't I don't know if that's a real great example because in that in that J T Barrett it was first year starting Ohio State won the national championship uh, and I think he was a Heisman finalist before he got hurt 
At Michigan? Yeah, I think so. Brandon Wilbush clearly was not that good. Um, <laughs> Ever at any point. Yeah, so I don't, I don't really know if there is a parallel. I mean, this is a, a column that I wrote after BC, and it was basically the crux of it is like, what if Wilbush is just, like, good, and that's it? Like, what if he's never great? And I think that that's sort of a reality that probably Brian Kelly and the coaching staff are thinking about themselves right now as they look forward to spring ball and whatever the team looks like next year. So I I don't think that there is going to be a massive improvement um, from Wimbush next year. I think he'll be better, but is he ever going to be like Baker Mayfield and complete well, no, se- no, no, 71% of his passes? No. I think just getting to 60% of his passes would be would be an improvement, but I don't think that would qualify as great. What if he runs for uh, 10 touchdowns? Throws 21 TDs, about 10 picks, and completes about 61% of his passes. Because that's what Deshaun Kaiser did. Two years ago. Would that <laughs> work out? Be fine. The playoffs? <laughs> that would do it, right? That would get him there. He'll be a second-round draft choice yeah, in the well, NFL. I'm just saying that he is a key he, little... I don't, I don't think he's a great runner because he doesn't run by Georgia and Miami athletes. So I think he's a very, very good runner uh, that makes a lot of teams look slow. Because he is extremely fast. Yeah. Um... If he was a great runner, he would be getting away from everybody. He doesn't get away from everybody. He's he's a top-tier runner, however. He's not superhuman or anything like that. And with his current passing skills, he needs to be superhuman. So what he has to do is become a little bit better as a passer. Because <laughs> he's not, because he's he's not, not going to get any better, better as a runner. Run he's not going to be blowing by the four best. He's not going to run wide on Florida State last year at Notre Dame Stadium and make them look slow like he did to Boston College. Now, Boston College is a fine team, and there's plenty of fine teams all over that slate he's going to have to run well against yeah. next year. But he's got to just improve his passing skills because he is a top-level runner, not elite. And you've got to be elite if you're going to throw like yeah, he does I, right now. Would you be happy with 56, 57%? Yeah, I was saying 57, I mean, that 58 would, gets that you would there. Be, that would be nice. You know what Brandon Wimbush really needs? He needs JT Barrett's defense. <laughs> That'd be helpful. If Brandon Wimbush had Ohio State's defense behind him, he'd be better. Notre Dame would be better. So he has to improve... As a passer and be at his best when they play the better teams, really. He has to be the guy you're like, you know what? He made some mistakes this year. He threw ten interceptions. But boy, only one mattered. Or only two mattered. I think that for, type of thing. If, if we're talking about, let's say he's a 58% passer. Mm-hmm. That needs to be, that can't be his average. That needs to be his worst game. He can't have two-thirds of the game be 50% or worse. He needs to have. He needs to have. They a can't seven- be empty numbers, is what. Right, that's what it was. Yeah. It was yeah. two so, thirds. This so year. he needs. You need to go in a game thing. All right, the worst we're gonna get here is fifty eight percent, sixty percent, kind of in that range. Um, and then you know maybe he'll have some games where he is you know fourteen of twenty, but there there were too many twenty. There were like twenty of forty, a nine of nineteen, like. You can't you can't live like that. Yeah, because you can't you he, can't rely on the running game next year like you had this year. You he can live through offense. with his speed and athleticism. He can live through the nine for twenty. Boy, he wasn't really dialed in against some of the worst teams on the schedule because he runs for one hundred and fifty yards. Right. But you can't live through that when you're playing or you know or has a high yards per completion. But you know they're not going to be able to run the football next year like they did this year. I mean, they may not have Josh Adams, let alone the two guys on the left side of the offensive line. Yeah, there's no, there's no question about it. Kay Beasley, last bowl game versus LSU. We saw Kelly do a dramatic change with Zaire running the ball constantly. Do you foresee any dramatic shifts in game plan to combat LSU style? No. I don't I don't even know what they would be. 
I mean, are you gonna play Ian Book? I well, not that run, run Wildcat. Not that I, I'm not yeah. sure what it would be. Um, Notre Dame's offense was good this year, and the team wasn't falling apart down the stretch in the same way it was in 2014 with all the injuries. I mean, they limped into the LSU game that year. This year, they're just like scuffling a little bit. So that's that's a lot different to me. Yeah, I don't I don't see a dramatic change. I don't know what it would be. I don't think there are dramatic options for them. I do think, having watched a lot of LSU last week, that um, I think I wrote this that you know screen passes will. I saw a lot of screen passes hurt LSU's defense this year. Brandon Wilbush can't throw screen passes. How confident do you think they would have? I mean, because they like bubble screens, but they haven't been able to use them. How confident do you think? They would have to be in Wimbush's practice session to to include that. If they see vulnerability in LSU, and you've got to slow down pass rush too, just with standard screens, he would have to be. I think the Miami game proved to them that they really can't do that. They tried to do it against Miami. He would have to be outstanding yeah. in the bowl week of prep for you to include that yeah. in the package, right? And the other thing, you know, they're so aggressive. Dave Aranda is so aggressive with their defense. I mean, there is never there is never a third and long without <laughs> something exotic being thrown at that offense and. They do a ton of zone blitzes where defensive linemen drop off. They like to bring their inside linebackers in their corners. Their safeties are very aggressive at the line of scrimmage. So my point about that is if if a healthy Josh Adams can break that first yeah. rung of defenders, there's yardage to be had there because they attack the line of scrimmage. But, you know, they run blitz a lot, so they bottle up your running game. Their defense is, their defense is pretty damn complete against the run and against the pass. Are you envisioning a slow-developing handoff right now like I am? Well, LSU's <laughs> offense does that yeah. a lot, and they have a lot of success with, with Darius Geis. I think, uh, you know, Matt Canada, uh, Pete, you were the one that made me aware of the, that Brian Kelly had an interest in mm-hmm. Matt Canada, and you asked him about it, and, um, you know, he said that the relationship with LSU was too far along for him to really get in the running for, for Matt Canada. He is a very creative offensive coordinator. Everything builds off uh, uh, something else. They have a wide receiver that's got 27 carries. They run four to six jet sweeps a game. So they force you to play the width of the field, but then they have slow-developing, quote, slow-developing running plays to Darius Geis and Daryl Williams. They let that offensive line do its work, and Geis can do great things against you. I brought that up because it was the phrase of November. It's not the slow-developing, it's the decision as the slow-developing running play is being made, that is the problem right. for Notre Dame. Yeah. I think, you know, Etling is Etling is a very high-efficiency quarterback. A lot of that has to do with Matt Canada putting him in good situations. All right, why don't we skip ahead to CMU Penns fan. In your eyes, when did recruiting go from just something all schools did to get players for upcoming season into a multi-million dollar <laughs> industry? Track 365 days a year by some fans. That can also dominate message board activity for hours. Well, I'm the only one, and Jack, we're the only ones here that can remember really the start of recruiting. And it was actually Joe Terranova, a, I want to say a Ford Ford company executive out of Detroit, who put out like this pamphlet, and people loved it at first. And it was all, almost kind of like, you know, Tom Lemming came, after, came uh, shortly thereafter. Guys like Alan Wallace in California, Max Emfinger, down in Texas, and it was almost kind of like early on, like a secret society. But I always remember it being the people that followed it. It was very voracious in the way that they followed it. You guys might, I mean, when did it become? I, with the advent of the internet, I guess. I mean, we did. I, you know, I recorded eight hundred number or nine hundred number 
messages for people to listen about recruiting. For now, people who re- don't know what that is, yeah, the 900 was, number is a phone line yeah. that you call into and pay to hear a voice message recorded. At this there point, was no think, actual, there's no actual interaction yeah. with the person on the other end. We're far enough away that people are listening and be like, what's a 900, 900 number? number? I've never heard okay. of that. Yeah. They, uh, you know, I mean, you were still at Blue and Gold then, right? Yeah. I did that. It was because I started at Blue and Gold in 2001. I don't know if you guys were still doing it, but I remember it being talked about yeah. in the office. I mean, it was I'd just, like, it was really, that people would, it was ridiculous that people yeah. would. They did. We That's also, how I edited pages. We had a fax service as well. People could get a, a, a recruiting update via fax, but it was really ridiculous that, that people paid big money for those 900 numbers just to listen to information about Notre Dame recruiting. I mean, that, it, it speaks to how the why the industry turned into what it did. The fact that there was that interest enough that tech hurdles like fax machines and nine hundreds weren't enough to stop yeah. the interest in recruiting. It was insatiable, and then it is turned into what it is today. I I don't know. I think probably like the. I mean, when I started, I didn't really get it um, why there was such interest, and then like the Lorenzo Booker. Yeah, Florida State flip signing day thing happened, and I was like, "Wow, people are really." really but into the this. but the advent of the internet <laughs> is when it yeah. really got out of control. <laughs> so was that what? So you didn't pay much attention to it before covering it? Because I still remember, I was more like a, like I would pay attention to like maybe the top 10 guys if somebody's right. signing and be like oh yeah that's kind of interesting but that would be about it like i i had no interest if you looked at Notre Dame's class i wouldn't have watched any film on the equivalent of Paul Mawala from 1992 right that would just was not my thing but Derek Allen you would know is coming to Notre Dame yes well and you know yeah. we we put out the VHS uh, right. uh recruiting videos Bob Nagel and I would get together in the studio we we'd have to take we'd get VHS tapes of games, you know, now you get, you basically get highlights. We'd get games and we'd have to go through and pick out the highlights of it. I mean, the, the production of one of those tapes took like a week and a half, two weeks to get through everything. You know, I think, uh, I'm with Pete that the 10, 12 guys, like you knew, I knew Ron Paulus before he signed Notre Dame. And of course everyone knew Marcus Dupree when he was coming up. So I think all the top guys has always been something for football fans that, that have a school they root for, especially. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just to know every member of the class by heart and be able to name it, that is... And so much of the information was really... You know, you, you had the Parade All-American team, which Jerry Faust recruited off of. I mean, that's, there, yeah. there's there's truth to that. And, th- and those names were... That was just... I mean, th- there was a lot of publicity involved with that. It was, there wasn't a lot of evaluation. They weren't the 24 best No, players. they were not. They were not. I'm trying to think like the first I was like oh that recruit went to that school like I grew up in Michigan so like TJ Duckett was a big deal if you remember him <laughs> yeah. Lloyd Norix yeah, yeah. And so that was like a that was a huge one I covered Sorry. him in high school and oh, yeah? when he was in high school that's why I remember that yeah they just um, snapped the ball to him and he ran for first downs so, yeah he yeah. was he was like <laughs> it was it was like Wildcat it was the old Wildcat I knew it was Lloyd so I mean that had to be like what late 90s I think yeah that was that was 90 Mid ninety seven, ninety eight, okay, ninety seven range. Yep. Um, so yeah, but before that, it's just a little bit of a blur. I don't. I, I, I can't say I remember a whole lot. I mean, Paulus, because I was at Notre Dame as a, good, as a freshman, new Notre Dame when they got Ron Paulus was a pretty big deal for everybody. And yeah. yeah, I mean, we could go on about this. The way information was gathered back then, 
it was kind of prehistoric the, compared to compared to the way yeah. Tom Loy and Kevin Sinclair gather recruiting information yeah. now. Now you can just call someone on this phone that you hold in the hand <laughs> and it's not plugged into the wall. It's crazy. Coach CFT, in light of Luke Jones and and Petit Freer, do you guys go over do you go over or under two and a half offensive linemen in this class? I would go over because I think they're adamant about signing a third. Um, we've talked about this on our message board a lot. It's a position where Notre Dame should not reach reach um, and take a total project, but it's also a position where they need a third guy just based on the numbers Um, and the hollowing out of the roster based on Parker Boudreau and Tristan Hodge leaving from the sophomore and junior classes. They're just, they're just short on guys right now. You're not bringing back the fifth you normally do in Jimmy Byrne, the back end of the schedule guy. No, because it's like, because I I think Byrne is not like Harrell or Biven where I don't think there's any confidence of Notre Dame putting him in the game. So then, then you're down another guy because you sort of view him as a transfer at that point. Um, so, Frank yeah, they Phil- have to. Yeah, I mean, they, their numbers there. Are yeah, just- uh, Frank Phillip is the tackle who's committed to Colorado. They talked about in the first segment. Luke Jones, I don't think they're going to get. Uh, Nick Petit Frere is going to be more of a signing day. Cole Mabry is a is a project at, Cole, at yeah. tackle. I do like John Dirksen. I, I'm guaranteeing you, I will rate him higher. He'll be higher on my list than any of you guys. But it's, I mean, you're in a situation where to have one guy. <laughs> Where you're like, well, I really right, like that right, one guy right, right, in, a, right. in a position where you need five yeah. is not, uh, it's not a super healthy place to be. Um, I, I do think one thing to keep in mind is to not look at the offensive line recruiting in a vacuum because the 2019 class is set up for them to, to get at least two national types, if not three, and probably very early and, as well. And probably a total of four or five. They, they could, it could be a five-man class, yeah. especially if this one's only a two-man class. O-line is always a two-year thing because even though they got Ronnie Stanley in 2012 to go along, and then and then Mark Harrell, when you have two, you cannot mess up the next year when you, right. you if you get yeah. four. You if you mess one and up, they don't. They don't. No, they, they, don't. they don't. They do a very good job of it. But it, yeah, it's that's why just getting an extra body in there is. But then that, that means you're you know. You're better offensive linemen than they they're going to have to play a little bit earlier than than the normal process of redshirting, you know, a year of internship, and then maybe starting as a junior or a redshirt junior. Medi Hebs fourteen is Boykin's recruitment fully dependent on what happens with Kyler Gordon? Um, Not entirely. So the answer to that is no. Um, Partially dependent is yes, but it also would have to factor in what happens with Julius Irvin. So if if Notre Dame landed Kyler Gordon and Julius Irvin this this week, because both those guys are going to sign early and no Boykin's going to sign late, then I think they would probably say, you know what, I'm sorry, we're full, um, and Boykin would probably stick with Maryland. So it's, I mean, I want to write about this later today. Just the numbers, if you added, let's just say they're going to get Braden Lindsay, because I think they're going to get Braden Lindsay, they'll be at 89 scholarship players. That's okay. Yeah, that's good. That's but if we're talking about them getting Gordon and Irvin and Petit Frere, then you're at 92. Yeah, that's but you're probably at there. 90 by the time signing day comes in, right? Probably. Yeah. But I'm just saying that like an extra three, three and a half, yeah, not is. a big deal. An extra seven, 
then that is that that could be a little bit tricky. Because they were the eighty nine, they were ninety, I think, but we knew they were losing someone the yeah. uh, couple years ago. Amir mm-hmm. Carlisle was becoming eligible, but yeah, I guess that that ninety two does put you a little bit of a some stuff might have to happen late in the cycle or late in August that you're not planning on. Southern Irish one, although not a complete class, what are you most and least impressed by at this point? This can include commits at certain positions or position groups. I think, I mean, for me, linebackers is underrated because those guys have been committed for so long. But, you know, Jack Lamb, Shane Simon, Matt Bauer, Agufo. I mean, that, that is a, that's probably your best, would you agree, Pete? Probably I, your best position. I thought that linebacker was the biggest need that was addressed. Yeah. Um, I think if they ended up with Gordon and Irvin, then I might shift that to secondary because I think to have a Derek Allen, Houston Griffith combo yes. with yeah. Moala, Joe Wilkins sort of in reserve. I think, would and be I, great. Think, I think Irvin can play corner. I mean, would he be a great safety? Yeah, I think he would be a very good corner as well. He's an explosive athlete. That's And that's what Notre Dame staff is telling him yeah. that they think, look, I know everyone says, it's not just a recruiting pitch, but we actually think you can play corner, but Notre Dame is adamant that they think he can play corner. Now, Houston Griffith, I think, is a little bit more safety than he is cornerback, but from a technique standpoint, he's pretty damn good at corner, too. But I like that. I like safeties that can cover it a little bit like that. I like Griffith and Allen is my answer, because they don't get two guys like that in the class often. No. You know, and you remember, like I mean, Robert Blanton was not the speediest guy, and he was a very good corner. Well, Julian Love is Julian not Love. the speediest yeah. guy. He's a really, really good corner. I would love to see those two develop as safeties for yeah. the following three seasons yeah. after freshman year contributing a little bit. You know, that's that's probably mine. Um, quarterback count, that's a good position to have the one in. I mean, yeah, I, you that's know, a I, think, yeah. I think if you had Lindsay, if you had Lindsay a receiver, the combination of Austin and yeah. Lindsay, and I do think Michael Michael Jones, I think his his senior film, he is an improved football player, but specifically Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay, man, I mean that's a home run at wide receiver. Yeah, the teams, the, the speed of skill positions is something that could be <laughs> you don't normally have either at the high mm-hmm. level of player here. That it it doesn't hurt to have that much speed. Filing, filling into your roster. Yeah, in terms of what I'm least impressed about this class, I guess running back, I mean, offensive line, is Petite first still on the board? He's not going to decide till late, and I think next class is set up for them to sort of pick and choose who they want. Running back, I think, is less certain next cycle. Um, <coughs> they have enough guys, so it's not like they needed two guys. I, I don't think losing Marquis Step even to USC is that big of a deal. Um, you know, that... I guess defensive end as well, just because they don't really have a true pass rusher. Justin Adamalola is not that kind of athlete. No. Um, so I, I think you'd have to probably settle on D end and maybe include offensive line just based yeah, on numbers. I, I mean, I, I'm not as I don't think they're going to get Petit Freer, but I, I'm not as dialed in as a lot of you guys. But uh, you know, I think a defensive tackles Franklin and and the other Adamalola. Uh, Jason is the interior yeah, lineman, yeah. right? I like them. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you know, tight ends, I mean, Takis and Trumbull are that, as good a duo, I think, as you're going to find. And you generally only get one quarterback, and this guy can wing it. So, I mean, I think there, there, there are more positives than negatives, but right now O-line um, and defensive end, which is, I mean, O-line, we don't usually say O-line. No. But defensive end, we do, and it remains a problem. That's why me. you guys have talked me into defensive end because we usually say defensive end, and we're saying yeah, it, and we're saying it again. So yeah, that's why I will. Uh, I'm going with that. 
All right, last question. SR5452, last year the Irish went 4-8, and eight, but you guys seem positive on the staff changes and how the players were acting in the offseason. What would you guys like to see from the bowl prep bowl game moving forward from the team to make you bullish for more than nine wins in 2018? What I'd like to see from the bowl game removing the more than nine wins part for next year? That's the most important part of the question. <laughs> it's, a, it's a two-part question for me. I just want to see... Brandon Wimbush play a game similar to the Michigan State game where he was a quarterback on the come, a mm-hmm. good player making plays and they had to be made, he's not a finished product, because you're not going to have a great, all of a sudden, Brandon Wimbush because he has a couple more practices out there. But you could see Brandon Wimbush from Michigan State. I think that's the only way they win the game. And this is a... I know we talked about this right when the, they signed, right when this game materialized, but boy, this is a, this is a one you, you... This is a tough pill to swallow if you lose. The way the gear ended. I know it doesn't actually matter for next year. It, it look, Notre Dame's when the last national championship, they're the played by far their worst football to end the season when they were eight and one, and then they lost their last three games. They got housed in two of them. But that wasn't the internet era. <laughs> I think it would be a problem outside the walls if they lose yeah, this game. Think, and to win, they need Brandon Wimbush to play well. You know, a lot of people are making comparisons to playing LSU a few years ago, but this is a. I think this is a tougher LSU team. I think their coordinators are very, very good. Both teams are better, though. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, at this time, yeah, yeah, at this time, uh, you know, thinking about preparing for LSU, we gave Notre Dame no chance. I, I, I I wouldn't go into this saying that Notre Dame has no chance, but I think LSU is better. Uh, What would I like to see, Pete? You mentioned, you know, that Elko did a great job covering up some of the safety issues. I would like to take it to the next step and see like a game-changing play come from the safeties. I'm not sure that they're ready to do that. Uh, I, I'm almost positive they're not ready to do that because they didn't do it in the first 12 games. But, I mean, as we move forward, and I guess the only way to do that is if Gilman was on the field and Derek Allen was in camp. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I do think, you, O'Malley, you mentioned sort of a, a loss would be a tough pill to swallow, and you were going back to the last national championship mm-hmm. team. I would just go back to 2011. I mean, because the way that season ended, they win by seven at Wake Forest. They beat Maryland in the Shamrock Series in D.C. They, they were awful against Boston College. Yeah. 16-14 win. 24-point favorites. They won that game. Yeah, right. and then you felt like St- Stanford toyed with them in a 28-14 loss, and then you had the, the loss to Florida State in Orlando. There was really nothing about that season that we were like, yeah, twelve and zero next year. How about that? Um, so I think the the results of the Citrus Bowl, how they play in the Citrus Bowl, doesn't really have a whole lot of impact on how next season goes. Um, but I do think, from a micro perspective, the Wimbush point is the most important thing. You know, he run, needs to play well. Yeah, and, and run the ball against a good run defense. Have some success mm-hmm. through the air against a good pass defense. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a wrap for this week's Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. Our recruiting podcast will be back Wednesday evening. Uh, myself, Kevin Sinclair, and Tom Lloyd to wrap up early signing day. And then this podcast will reconvene in Orlando. Uh, sometime in Orlando. Yes, at some point in Orlando as we are all down there to cover the Citrus Bowl against LSU. So until then, have a Merry Christmas. And... Priester O'Malley and myself, we will talk to you from Florida next week. Out of all the rangers, you know you're the mastermind.